So yeah, part of the reason why I, I picked this question is that as we're exploring and diving into Mark chapter 9, which is a hint for you guys to turn there, <laughs> you, we're going to see that God is giving us some perspective from that moment in time of the disciples of a future, of a glorified Jesus and a future judgment. And so this got me just kind of thinking a lot about like the future, right? Now, you might have noticed in your notes that it's, it's I think it's the first time in whole heart history that there's actually two, a second page. <laughs> now, when I had actually created the Word document, it was perfectly it's, one it's size. Barely. Yeah, yeah. And here, was, and here was the dilemma. Okay, so I went to print it out and I, I did a test print just to make sure it works right. And then I realized that my table at the very end had, had, when I turned it into a PDF, went one more page long. So I kind of felt like Spider-Man, where it's like, do I save Mary Jane or do I save the bus of people? Because I was like, do I save the tree or do I give you a little bit of insight into the judgment seat of Christ? And I felt like saving the bus of people and Mary Jane? Yeah. We can do it all. The Lord, the Lord provides. So anyways, I apologize about that wonky printout. Uh, we, won't, we won't let that happen again um, for all the, the tree lovers out there. But uh, we're learning as we go. So I don't know if anybody's seen any of these videos. I think they were maybe late, 90, uh, late 80s, maybe early 90s. But there were these like psychological tests on children. It's called the marshmallow test, which is basically... You put a kid in a room with a marshmallow and you say, hey, if you don't eat this marshmallow in the next five minutes, you can have two. And then they just put a camera on them and you see these kids just sitting in agony. You know, in the first 30 minutes, I think, or the first 30 seconds, I think they get it, right? They're like, okay, I need to practice some patience. But these are little kids. And, and after a while, you see them like getting closer to the marshmallow, <laughs> kind of scoping it out. They're thinking about the consequences of their decisions. Then you start seeing them like picking it up. They're just kind of playing with it, you know, but they're still, they still haven't quite devoured. They know the, the, the power of investment, right? But then just a couple of seconds later, they're actually licking it. <laughs> Not quite eating it yet, but you know, they can't. And, and, you know, what, what these tests are showing is that uh, we, we live in the moment, right? And a lot of times, this idea that uh, if, if you delay your gratification, that there's actually a payoff, that there's, that there's something larger that you can have. And this, this test really demonstrates that well. But I, but I think all of us, even adults, can relate that sometimes we live for the moment, Right? And, uh, and we don't think about that future investment. This was uh, something that I found. The Art of Manliness is a blog that I think was popular like 10 years ago, maybe 20 years ago. But this image basically shows it's called the power of compound interest. And basically what you're seeing here is that if somebody at the age of 25 saves $1,000 a year for 10 years, so a total investment of 10000 okay, and there's 8% interest happening in their savings account here and it starts compounding that 
just after that, that initial 10,000 of investment, if they just stop, it'll actually grow to 157,000, okay? But if somebody waits 10 years, and instead of at the age of 25, at the age of 35, they start investing $1,000 a year for 30 years, okay? So they're, they're investing 30,000. They actually come up short of the, the first guy up top, and they, that only leads up to 122,000. So again, this just kind of illustrates the, 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 the idea that like when we live in the moment and we don't necessarily think about the future, that sometimes you kind of miss out on that, that further investment. Now, as we're going through some of these passages in Mark, there's going to be a temptation to kind of think about everything through an opportunistic standpoint, which is, you know, if I, if I, if I don't do things now, that the payoff's going to be at the end, right? But the Lord does reward us as his servants, okay? And, and we don't want to dismiss that. And so, you know, the question to just kind of be thinking about is, am I living for the moment or am I living for the future? You know, and when I'm in the moment, am I investing in the future? Okay, so let's pray and we'll dive into the text. Lord Jesus, you came to this earth as a, as a servant, a humble servant, and you gave yourself on the cross. And what a price that was. What an investment that was to reconcile us to the Father. And, and Jesus, we know that you are magnified and glorified sitting at the right hand of the Father and that uh, when you come again your second time uh, that uh, you will rule and reign and, uh, and that we will see all your power and glory. So I'm just praying as we read Mark 9 that you would open up our eyes, God, to the fullness of who you are, both the, the servant and the king. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're not going to hit on every uh, verse going through Mark 9. I did put a little bit of an outline in your notes. That was part of the reason why we, you know, had the meeting or the note bleed. Uh, and also I put some parallel passages so that if you ever want to reference this back, uh, you can look at how these stories also take part in Matthew and Luke. But we're going to start in Mark 9, verses 1 through 10. And, and first, what we're going to see is... Jesus's future glory manifest. So it says this, verse one, and, and uh, this, is, this is Jesus, okay? And just to, so a little context, Jesus had, Peter had the revelation that Jesus was the Christ, the son, son of God, right? And then it was right after that, that Jesus actually called the multitude that was around them. So both the disciples and the multitude. And he said, that they need, like anybody that wants to follow Jesus, they need to take up their cross. And that if they find their life in this moment, they'll lose it. But if they lose their life for, for Christ, they will find it. Okay, so that's the context of what we're going to be reading here. So verse one, and he said unto them, Jesus said unto them, verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here, which shall not taste death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. 
Verse 2, And after six days Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John, and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceedingly white as snow, so as no fuller on earth could white them. And there appeared unto them Elias, and that's Elijah, with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. This is crazy, okay? Elijah and Moses are showing up and they're talking with Jesus on this mountain. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. For he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Verse 8. And suddenly they had looked round about. They saw no man anymore, save Jesus only with themselves. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one with another what the rising from the dead should mean. So Peter, James, and John are in a very privileged moment, a very privileged position. Uh, in one of the other Gospels, it actually talks that they uh, were kind of sleeping <laughs> when, when this event starts taking fold. And it's, like they, and, and it's depicted as they wake up and Jesus is there talking with Moses and Elijah. So this isn't the, only, the first time that the disciples are kind of sleeping a little bit on the job, but they did wake up and they, they start to partake in this. And have you guys ever been in a situation where you're like nervous and you don't know what to say? So something crazy just comes out of your mouth? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for, you know, for, for uh, if, if any of you that are married, remember when you were single, maybe the first time that you uh, met your wife or spoke to your wife or said something to your wife, it can be horribly awkward, right? Um, <laughs> or proposed. Or proposed. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or proposed. <laughs> first meeting, right? No, no, just when I proposed. Oh, when you proposed. Yeah. Did you offer to make a tabernacle? No, I didn't stupid. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, you know, again, we're seeing the disciples. They're getting revelation from Jesus, uh, seeing his, his future glorified state. They're seeing Moses and Elijah. And Jesus is even telling them about his death, burial, and resurrection. And by the end of this, in verse 10, it says, And they kept saying, with themselves, questioning one with another what the rising from the dead should mean. It's very clear to me, you know, we've talked a lot about the disciples that we've gone through Mark, um, that they still struggle with hard-heartedness. Things aren't always clicking. Uh, at one moment, they're, it's like they're, they're seeing and getting everything that Jesus is saying, and then the next moment, Jesus is rebuking them and saying, get behind me, Satan. It's very evident that they don't have the Holy ghost deposited in them and that their eyes have not been fully like fully opened yet um, to everything and understanding but this is the reality of what's happening uh, with Jesus is that um, present suffering leads to future glory this is one of the ways that God uh, operates Uh, maybe another way of saying it is this is kind of one of God's styles of, of leadership or how he, he transforms us, right? Is that present suffering leads to future glory. And 
I'll just show you a couple of, you know, so this is a picture just kind of depicting, and you see the disciples waking up here. And this is uh, Moses and Elijah. <clears throat> this, is, uh, this is a view. Uh, this is, a, is anybody a Clarence Larkin fan? I, I, if you can get one of his books, or most of his stuff's on the internet now, but he was an architect. I think he got saved late, maybe later in his life, but he ended up just taking his drafting skills and studying the Bible and put, like, creating graphs, like just visually explaining what was happening. This is one of my favorite graphs of his, and it's called the Mountain Peaks of Prophecy. And what you see on the left is this, this prophet, which would, I guess, represent in a lot of ways the Old Testament, right? Where there's prophecies about the coming Messiah. And the perspective that he's kind of showing here is that there's actually two mountain peaks. And in the, from the perspective of the Old Testament, or if you were a saint that was hearing verses from the Old Testament, you might be getting some perspective of Jesus' first coming as a suffering servant. But then you might also be getting some of perspective. You see the son of righteousness, all right? This is talking about Jesus' second coming. And you might be seeing some things that almost seem contradictory. Well, is the Messiah, is he a servant or is he a mighty warrior? Is the, is, is, is the Messiah one person or is it like two different, is it two different people? And so what we see is that Jesus Christ fulfills this. And so I just want to read for you Isaiah 53, two through five. We could honestly read this whole chapter, but just, just a little bit about this coming Messiah. Okay. For he, this Messiah, shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. And he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. And he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And we could read on, but this is showing that the Lord is sending his servant, his Messiah, to come, and there's not going to be a lot of beauty about him. He's not going to be that King Saul that's head and shoulders above everybody else and is strong and mighty. But instead, it's, it's, it's Jesus born in a manger, right? Uh, shady, uh, you know, shady background of, you know, what happened with his parents and, and, and the pregnancy and things like that. And yet God was showing that this is only part of who the Messiah is. Hebrews 2.9 says this, but we see Jesus who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for everyone. And so, you know, Jesus is a servant. We also know that Jesus is the son of God and he's king. And when they're on the mountaintop, this voice from heaven is confirming, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Now, Jesus's glory, there's a few things in this passage that I just want to highlight. They're in your notes. But the first one, it talks about Jesus's raiment being white. And it talks about that 
that this like fuller soap, like it could, you couldn't get it any wider. And there's actually prophecies in Malachi chapter three about the Lord washing the garments of his saints as white. And yet they're saying that Jesus is, when he's being transfigured, when they're seeing him in all his glory, he, his raiment is so white, it can't get any whiter, right? Which is pointing to his pureness and his holiness. He's also complete. Jesus is the fulfillment of the old covenant and the new. Okay, and this is really interesting. So think about who is on the mountain, okay? You, you often hear them talking about the law and the prophets, the law and the prophets. Well, Moses was the writer of the law, right? God used him to write the law. Elijah is representative of the prophets, right? And, and then you also uh, have the disciples, Peter, James, and John, who were not just disciples, they were actually apostles. And they represented the new covenant that after the death of the testator, after the death of the Messiah and the resurrection, that they would be the stewards of this new covenant with God's people, both Jew and Gentile. So it's like, it's kind of incredible that all of them were there. And this is what Malachi 4, verse 4 through 6 says. These are the last verses of the Old Testament, okay? Before there was 400 years of prophetic silence for, for Israel, okay? It says this, Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So again, these are the last verses of the Old Testament in our Christian Bible. And who's showing up with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration? Moses and Elijah, who he's, he's emphasizing. Now, many will say that, <clears throat> that these two prophets... Uh, will actually show up in Revelation as the two witnesses. And there was a, like a real temptation in preparing to like start getting into the eschatology, uh, but we don't have time for that. But again, just to, to call out that <clears throat> what God was doing here uh, was really giving us a picture of how Christ fulfills the law and the prophets, as well as will be giving us that great gospel that new covenant. The Lord also said of Jesus in verse seven, he called him his beloved. Uh, Jesus was well-pleasing to the Lord. And this was the second time that a voice, if you remember when John the Baptist baptized, that he had said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well-pleased. This is the second time we're seeing this in the gospels. And this is when Jesus is in his glorified state. And then he says at the very end of verse 7, this voice says, what's it say? It says, hear ye him, right? Like, listen to him. Obey his word. And so Jesus is authoritative. And what he says, we need to obey. Now, it's not that Jesus was a servant and then he's a king 
And he, he just forgets about that whole servant thing. And I think that's, that's the one thing that I just want to kind of caution as, as, as we're looking through these verses is I think there can be a temptation of like uh, having a mindset of uh, being an opportunist, okay? That like, ah, like I can work up the Christian ladder or I can work up the, the church ladder here. Like if I'm a servant, okay? And if I, you know, if I, then, then I can kind of like get that notch and then, you know, they'll let me uh, run the bus ministry, right? And then once I get to the keys to the car, you know, then I can, I can drive the car wherever I want, right? Uh, but this is something that, is in in the very core of who Jesus is. And we're encouraged in Philippians 2. I have these verses written out to actually have this mindset that Jesus had, okay? And Jesus could have lived in the moment. Maybe, I don't know. Jesus could have been like, you know what? Heaven's pretty comfortable. Like, it's pretty nice up here. Uh that world is pretty violent and not sure how much they're going to really listen to me or get what I'm having to say. But that's not the mind that Jesus had. And this is what we're called. Verse five says, let this mind be in you, which also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And in Jesus' first coming, he came as a servant. When he comes the second time, every knee is going to be hitting the ground, whether they want to or not. Um, and so now is the time, while you still have your volition, while you still have choice, to make that decision to bow your knee to the Lord and accept him. Now, after these verses in, in Mark 9, verses 11 through 13, the disciples that were with them start asking about Elijah. And it's like they're trying to get a handle on what Malachi had prophesied. And we're not going to get into those verses, but the Lord explains that John the Baptist had the ministry of Elijah. That's very clear in Scripture. And that if they would have accepted John the Baptist that, and his ministry, that things would have been a lot different, but they didn't. They rejected him. And so there's a coming, there's a, there's a future coming of Elijah's ministry, which is prophesied about in Revelation. Now, after this, <clears throat> Jesus shows up with Peter, James, and John. They get, get together with the rest of the disciples. And there's like a crowd, and there's scribes, and there's like all this like conversation going on. <clears throat> and so... Jesus starts investigating, and what we see in this passage is that there's a demon-possessed boy, and that this demon is trying to destroy this boy, and sometimes it's just like throwing him into water to drown him. Sometimes it's throwing him into a fire, which I think is a picture of two judgments 
in, in a lot of ways and where Satan is headed. And, but it's as this is happening, uh, the disciples can't cast out this, this demon. And, uh, and this is the passage where the father says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus ends up casting out the demon. And so after this, we're going to go to Mark 9, verses 30 through 32. And this is where we're going to pick back up. So after this boy was delivered of this demon, verse 30 says this, And they departed thence and passed through Galilee. Sorry. And they departed thence and passed through Galilee. And he would not that any man should know it. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. But they understood not the saying and were afraid to ask him. And then it continues, verse 9, 33. I'm sorry, chapter 9, verse 33 says this. And he came to Capernaum. And being in the house, he asked them, What is it that ye disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace, for by the way they had disputed among themselves, who should be the greatest? And he sat down and called the twelve, and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all, and servant of all. Okay, now imagine... You're, you're, uh, you're walking, uh, maybe you're on a missions trip and, and you're, you're with Sam Miles. Sam Miles is like leading the missions trip and he's like, you guys, by the time we get back from this trip, I'm going to be de- dead. <laughs> Something's going to, terrible is going to happen to me. And then, and then he, maybe he, he walks a couple of steps ahead and the rest of the group is, and, and everybody's kind of bickering about like, well, who's going to be, who's going to be next in charge? Like, and, and it, it's like they totally missed the moment of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and they didn't quite understand it. And again, they didn't have the Holy Spirit deposited in them. The Lord was going to send that in the right time. So it's like it's, God knew what he was doing. But you see the disciples bickering about who's going to be greatest. And I think if we were like all honest with ourselves, I think we have this inclination I know, I know I do. And when I'm in my flesh, I'm often just kind of thinking about my own benefit, my own profit. Um, Maybe, maybe nobody else relates to that, but like my mind kind of goes to like, how can I, how can I advance in life? How can I, how can I move ahead? Right. And this is what I feel like just in the same way that, that suffering leads to future glory. Um, Present service leads to future greatness, okay? Present service leads to future greatness. And you got in your notes, there's, I mean, it's like the whole Bible uh, has so many examples of, of servants, servant leaders. And you've, you've got Moses, and, and Moses, kind of like Christ, left the comfort of Egypt to become a shepherd, like in the desert for 40 years and ended up shepherding uh, and serving the children of Israel. And you've got David with a very similar pattern. John the Baptist. Now this is what Jesus said. John the Baptist, Matthew eleven eleven. Jesus said this about John the Baptist. Verily I say unto you, 
among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And God is really not about like creating a hierarchy uh, of like, okay, well, he's number one and he's number two. Um, but again, what's, why does God give us giftings? Why does God give us the, 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 the abilities, the spiritual giftings that we have, the physical capabilities? Why does he do that? Is it so that we can come out on top? Well, it's not. It's so that we can actually serve each other, that we can edify one another, that we can build each other up. And this is, this is how the body works. The body doesn't work against itself. When the body starts working against itself, we know stuff goes horribly wrong, right? That's like when the autoimmune stuff really starts like not working correctly. But how we're originally designed, what, how God intended is that like everything works together to serve it, serve each other, right? So you also got Jesus's example, Paul's, Phoebe's, Peter's. And at MBT, this is one of our uh, ministry principles. I believe this is ministry principle number five. And it's that our leaders are servant leaders. And, you know, God's not impressed with our abilities. He doesn't need us. What he cares about is our character and our heart. And he's calling us to love one another, to, to serve one another, to, to prefer one another over ourselves. And I can say just in this class, I, I, my feet have been washed, metaphorically speaking, by so many people here. Uh, when my family's been sick, uh, <laughs> like uh, counseling, and there's there's just so many examples. Uh, the cleaning team, you know, people show up and they're like scrubbing toilets and mopping floors and stuff. And it's like there's like all of that is such a demonstration of God's love and how he wants us to be walking and operating as as his children. And when we serve one another, right, again, we're not, we're not doing that to try to, like, move up a ladder. Uh, we're not trying to do that to, like, gain a position of leadership. This is, like, the, the ethos of what a leader should be in God's kingdom, is a servant. <clears throat> now, Jesus keeps going in, in Mark chapter 9, verse 36 and 37. He actually calls a child to come and starts talking about the nature of the kingdom and, and receiving uh, children and not being a stumbling block. And then it's kind of interesting. I, I told you guys that the, that the disciples, they could not cast out this demon uh, that, that we saw earlier in the chapter. That, and Jesus said that this, like, there's certain, there's certain, uh, demons that can only be cast out through prayer and fasting, okay? Well, just a couple verses later, Jesus is correcting some of the disciples that were forbidding uh, somebody that was casting out demons, and they were, like, stopping them. So they were, they were struggling to cast out demons, but then when they saw somebody else doing it and the guy wasn't wanting to follow them, they were like trying to forbid him. And Jesus was like, hey, if, 
If they're not against us, they're for us. So again, you just see the disciples struggling with this. And where we're going to see the narrative uh, really hone in is that we're going to see a future judgment, judgment that Jesus starts to tell the people. Okay, So we saw first a future glory of Jesus, and then we saw the future gospel of his death, burial, and resurrection. And now what we're going to see is a future judgment. And this is a pretty sober uh, teaching, but I pray that we'll take heed to it. So Mark 9, verse 42 says this, And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he were cast into the sea. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into halt, enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye, than having two eyes to be cast into the hellfire, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Verse 49, For every one shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but it shall have lost its saltiness. Wherewith will you season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace one with another. One with another. So, <clears throat> The takeaway from, from this passage is that present stumbling leads to future gnashing. Present stumbling leads to future gnashing. Now, why do I say stumbling? Okay. When you look at that word offend, that word that in the passage we just read, uh, offend is used, I think, four different times. That we're not to be offending others. Okay, and we're also that there's things that we can do in our own lives that can bring offense to us. Well, that that word offend uh, is is in the Greek the word skandalizo. Okay, kind of sounds like scandal. And when you look at its different use cases, really what it's it's portraying is that when you offend somebody, you're creating a stumbling block, that you're causing them to trip. You're enticing them to sin, and ultimately, you're causing them to fall away from God. And so this present stumbling, this present stumbling block that we can either put in front of others or this present stumbling block that we can put in front of ourselves, um, leads to a future judgment, okay? Now, <clears throat> I'll just read this, you know, in verse 41 again. Uh, I'm sorry, in Matthew 13, Verse 31, I'm sorry, Matthew 13, verse 41. Jesus says, The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. And there shall be a wailing and gnashing of teeth. And so the warning here is twofold. One is we need to not be putting a stumbling block and leading others astray, okay? 
And the, the second one is that we can be sometimes our worst enemy. And there's can be things in our life that also lead us astray from the Lord. And there's a grave warning about this. But, you know, the ultimate, the ultimate offense uh, to recognize it is that Jesus became a, a stumbling stone for those that don't receive him, that don't receive his message. Now, this, uh, we don't have time to get into, I guess, all the doctrinal implications. So this is why I thought that that table was so important to, to just kind of put there in the notes, is that the, the lake of fire that should not be quenched, that's for the unbeliever, okay? And I gave you a passage in Revelation that talks about that. So that's for those that are not found in the book of life, that did not receive salvation through Jesus Christ, and they will be judged for their sins, okay? And again, we don't have time to go into it, but for the believer, that's for, I believe, most of us that are in here, that you won't be judged for your sins. Jesus Christ took that judgment upon himself, and that you will be judged for your service, okay? And that judgment is different. That's the, that's the, judgment seat of Christ. Okay. So, um, so if you ever go back to this passage, don't get tripped up and start thinking that you've got to cut off your hand, cut off your arm, right? Uh, pluck out your eye, uh, to receive salvation. That's not how we get salvation. Um, Jesus had taught earlier that like sin, it's not what you, what, what enters into your body that defiles you, right? But what comes out of the heart? And for believers, we've received a new heart in Christ. Um, just uh, this, is, this photo here, I actually took this in Egypt. Uh, I was with Jamie Waller, uh, Jessica Simpson as Jamie Waller. But um, this was a, a, a saint who, <clears throat> this was, uh, the story goes that he actually plucked out his eye. You know, he took this, he, he read this passage, was worried about, you know, his salvation, plucked out his eye. Again, we don't have to do that. Uh, uh, you don't have to find yourself in Christ, right? But I do think that even inspirationally, we can look at this passage and be like, what are the things that we're kind of living in the moment for, which are actually a stumbling block in keeping us from fully walking with the Lord? And can we remove those things? Can we remove those triggers? Okay. If, uh, you know, if you can't stop spending your money, maybe we need to like, get a flip phone or cancel that credit card, right? Uh, if you can't stop watching TV or, you know, in, instead of plucking your eyes out, how about like, let's just like cancel, you know, Netflix for, for a, a while. Um, but I, I think, you know, when it's, I'm sorry for these like 90s references, but this is how we'll end. But, you know, the Lord is, is, is giving us this opportunity um, it's like, you can live for the moment or you can take up your cross and follow him, right? And like, we've got this decision. So this is, this is from the matrix. Um, why not one more while we're at it? Uh, so, you know, this was an interesting one because in some ways, uh, if you're not familiar with this Indiana Jones uh, moment, but uh, this guy is trying to pick the cup that Jesus drank out of. And he clearly hasn't rightly divided scripture 
Um, and he's thinking about like, you know, Jesus in heaven. And so like clearly Jesus would be drinking out of some golden goblet, but he didn't know, you know, he didn't know his New Testament, that Jesus was a servant and that his, uh, you know, his, his cup would probably be made out of like wood or clay or something like that. Um, but again, it's like, we got to choose wisely. And so um, as you're thinking about this new year, as you're thinking about uh, your future self and walking with the Lord, I guess what I would just encourage you to do is, what are those things that we need to cut out of our life? There are times when we need to add to our faith, virtue, knowledge. Um, and there's times when we grow by actually pruning, by, by shedding, and allowing the Lord to, to do spiritual surgery on our life. So I just want to encourage you um, to be thinking about that and be asking the Lord, what is causing me to stumble? What is causing other people around me to stumble and not follow you? And Lord, will you purge those things for me? So we will end there. If anybody does not feel confident that they will be with the Lord in heaven, but that there is that, like, just kind of think, wondering in the back of your mind, like, could I, like, could I be in danger of, of hellfire and never, never ending judgment? Um, please talk to, talk to me, talk to one of the leaders in, in this place. And let's have that conversation. Like, let's have that today. Let's have that now, if need be. Um, because it's the most important thing that you can do is make that decision that you're going to die to yourself and that you're going to receive Jesus's gift of salvation. So I will pray. Lord, thank you for your example um, as both servant and as king. And I pray, Lord, that uh, we would follow your example and serve one another and that you would be glorified in our lives as we reflect you. Uh, please be with um, the main service and, and as we uh, transition, just pray that people would get around safely. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.